Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18 uh, is where we will uh, begin tonight. The charge of Joshua to the people. In this scripture, as you have read, Joshua now is at the point that they're on the outer skirts. And he tells them in the very beginning of 10 through 18, he says, he addresses them and tells, tells them that in three days, they're going to cross over the Jordan. And they're going to take possession of that land, chapter 1, verse 11. Now in verses 12 through 15, he's going to remind the uh, tribes that settled in on the eastern side that Moses gave unto them, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, or 12 through 15 there, uh, to go into the land and fight to the finish. Now, what's the history behind that? <clears throat> There's two and a half tribes that are on the east side of Jordan. What's the history? Anybody remember? Tribes of Gad, Manasseh, and Midian, I believe. That's, that's where we're going. That was part of the deal. If you go back into Numbers chapter 32 and read that entire chapter, you'll see to where I almost made a deal with Moses, I guess you could say. Uh, they were all, had a lot of cattle and a lot of things that needed to be grazed in this land, and this part of the land east of Jordan was great for that. And they asked Moses, could they stay there? Uh, and they did, but the deal was, was God spoke to Moses and told him, the deal was that if you do, that when the, when the children of Israel, the rest of the, God's people, go in to take the land, you've got to help fight and take care of that part of it as well. So you're going to see the where that they actually do that. Uh, they hold their end of the bargain. Joshua's going to you know, speak to them there. But again, they requested Moses to settle in that land uh, outside of the promised land. And again, they were granted that, uh, that promise or that, that uh, request because they fought for the promised land until the land was subdued. So Joshua, in our text tonight, reminds these tribes of this promise. He's addressing those people. And in verse 13... He describes this as a place of what? Rest, that's right, place of rest. Uh, and I want you to think on it along these lines. This is a rest of imagery that's repeated, if you go down to verse 15 as well, it's repeated there as well. And that being the big theme in the book of Joshua. Now, if you go back into Deuteronomy... Uh, you can go there and, and reference some things as well. I don't have it written down, uh, but in my study, I went back and uh, looked at that. But meaning that rest here does not mean inactivity. When we think along about rest, what do we think about? Taking a nap, right? Yeah. 
no, in, no activity. Um, but rather than that way of thinking, we have to think about a complete dependence upon God. When we find ourselves completely dependent, now in the promised land, they were going to be taken care of, right? Everything, I mean, everything was, you know, fruit, I mean, just overflowing there. Land of what? Milk and honey. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. With that said, they would have for that rest to really resonate here and to bring out would be a complete dependence upon God. We can find rest today. Coming to me, ye that are what heavy laden, and what I'll give you rest. How do we do that? Through Christ Jesus, the blood of Christ, depending completely upon God, having salvation uh, granted to us by the grace of God. But they wouldn't have to worry about their enemies or provisions, uh, or even the concerns of life. But with this charge, the people respond that they will do what? Verses 16 and 17. Well, how does the people respond here? Whatever you, they, hey, we're going to obey you, Joshua. We're going to obey you just like we did Moses. Now you think about that. You've got, you got a transition in power here. The only leader the people had ever known was Moses, right? Now we've got a transition in power. Transition in headship, leadership, if you will. So, they, 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 so anyway, uh, Joshua charges them here. Uh, he, um, he exhorts them, if you will. And then they turn around and do what to Joshua? They further encourage him to be what? Strong and courageous for the task at hand. Now you remember when we started, started studying last week, the very beginning of that, uh, God commands Joshua how many times in those first few verses? Three times to be strong and courageous. So that's the charge to the people. That's how the people respond to Joshua. Uh, for people to respond to leadership like that, what, do, what has to be in place? Respect. What about, what about them? What about their makeup or their heart? What has to be in place? You gotta be, yeah, you gotta be willing. You gotta be maybe humble. What do you think? Yeah. Being able to have that respect and have humbleness. And, you know, I, a lot of times you see people, well, I can do it a whole lot better than what? He can. I do a better job than whoever. Uh, I found myself in those positions all through life. There are a lot of people who are in leadership positions, and, and even still today, that don't always line up with what God would have us to do. 
So I have to respect them as a leader, the position that they hold, but I don't have to respect their way of thinking when it's contrary to the Word of God. Same way with our president. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. Same way with our president. I respect the position he holds, but I have no respect for his way of living and his way of, of ruling. But I pray for him. I pray that the Lord will help him. God will help him some way, somehow. God's done a lot of good with evil people. Let's <laughs> so go back and look at the history. Uh, do what? God allowed him to be there, didn't he? Uh, he sure did. So in conclusion, on, on chapter 1 of Joshua, let's conclude this out, and maybe we can start chapter 2 here just in a moment. We can read this, and we've read this, and think, you know, this is great for Joshua. Um, someone might say, well, but how we wish maybe God would say something like that to us. Well, God did. Think about it. Listen to the courage God is trying to give us to have faith to follow him. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Notice what God says to us here. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 and verse uh, 11. And the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You're very familiar with this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now you go back and you look at that. Finally, my brethren, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord. God says that we're able to be strong in Him, right? We're to be strong and, and, and not in our strength, but He goes on to say, but in His power. And that's the same thing that God was telling Joshua through this whole process. God is going before you. Be strong and courageous. God's going to be before you. I'm with you. I'm going to help you take this. Now you think about all the things that we face today in our lives. God is before us. But now I'm going to tell you, I had a conversation with a lady this, this week. Got some detrimental uh, physical news. Been trying to get her to church for a long time. And the response is this. I know. I said, let me help you. I said, let me help you get in the church. Let me help you find the way, the truth. I said, and let God work more in your life. Because this is her thing. God's working in my life. God is taking care. He's blessing me with all these things. Well, he is in, in, a, in one sense. 
But you know what? When you put Christ on in baptism and you become a Christian, you can't, you, you, that's when all the good starts happening. You think things are good now, living the way you are without being in Christianity or whatever, but when you really get serious and you really put it down and I'm baptized for remission of my sins and I've committed to God and to Jesus Christ and His church, things really good start happening for you. That's what I try to tell her. I said, you need to be in the Lord's church. You need to let me help you get in the Lord's church so God can work even more in your life than what He is now. I said, because there's precious promises and blessings for people who what? Who are in Christ. People who are faithful to Christ. You think you're, you know, you may live against some of the things that God has taught us and said not to do this, that, and other. And you say, well, my life's good. I'm going to tell you what. You put away those things and you get back right with the Lord and your life's going to be more than good. It's going to be great. And Joshua knew that. These people knew that. And when we get into chapter 2, we're going to see a, a harlot named who? Rahab. And we're going to answer the question, why she did what she did. Because she tells them. If you've done your homework, you know. But she's going to tell him why. But again, with that said, God says, trust me. I'll give you strength. You just need to put, uh, this is advice I can give you. You need to put Christ and God's words in your heart until we put them in our heart, our spiritual heart. We're not going to experience these things. There's only so much in this world that your money can buy. There's only so much. And beyond that, it could be a whole lot greater if people are in Christ. Follow what he says. Have the courage to trust him. But I, with that said, I ask this question. What are, we, what are we failing to trust God to do? Now think about that. What are you and I tonight failing to trust God to do? Now, I'd say everybody in here tonight has got something going on in your life. It may be financial. It may be spiritual. It may be physical. It may be materialistic. It may be job. It may, I don't, it may be family. It may be, I don't know what, what the situation is. But I guarantee you, everybody in here tonight has got something in their life right now that's like a brick wall. I don't know what, maybe a, maybe a kid who's gone astray. Maybe, maybe a, a family member who's gone astray. Or maybe a, I don't know, a terrible boss. I don't know. Terrible preacher. I don't know. But what tonight are you failing to trust God to do? Today, <clears throat> Wayne, you can associate with this. You're an outside worker and all this kind of stuff. You're all the time busy doing stuff. I started a project at my house, scooping off a 
layer of dirt and where my old deck was and going to put me a, some gravel out there. And my wife wants something where we can sit around a fire pit. So I'm, I'm taking care of my wife. Uh, I've done that. I've been trying to get it done for weeks now. Heaven's gates of floods opened up today. You know what I got behind my house right now? A mud hole. I went out the back door and looked, and I was like, it'll take four months for that to dry out where I can get that down level. Now, I say that's minute. It is minute. Things are going to happen. We're going to get it done eventually, just not in our time, right? So the question is, what are we failing to trust God to do in our lives tonight? We look at the obstacles in our lives and think that we have to do it ourselves. We look at the things that you and I are facing right now, this very moment on Wednesday night, whatever happened at work today, whatever went on in your family, I don't know. But we're facing those things thinking that we have to do it all ourselves. Now, You go on into chapter 2, and you think about it. Those spies went in, they came back. What was the report? Two of them went in, but... Yeah. Two said we can. Joshua and Caleb, right? Yeah. Because maybe they was looking at it, they were going to have to do it all by themselves, Reckon. How many times in our lives have we said, I can't do this. I can't do it. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, you're right. I had that thought about two months ago or three months ago, I guess. Well, I still have my Christmas lights up. My wife said, our house looks like the Bordens. Y'all had to be from Alabama to know about the Bordens. The Bordens left their Christmas lights up all year long. And that just tore my wife all to pieces. She said, we are not going to be the Bordens. But I got up on that ladder and I was like, hmm, I ain't as steady as I used to be. <laughs> That's why my, one side of my gutter is hanging off right now. Because I decided I was going to get up on tin roof and wash my gables. Tin roof and water and soap don't go together. Micah hollering, catch yourself, Daddy, catch yourself. I did when I got to the bottom. But again, we do realize some things that we can do. What are we afraid of regarding today or tomorrow? Do we think that God will break his promise? Now, we're, we're, we're throwing this out right here at the beginning of Joshua. And the things that they're going to be challenged with. Do we think he'll break his promise that he'll never leave us nor forsake us? Let me tell you tonight. God will not leave you. He did not leave Joshua. But now as we know through the history of God's people, when there was sin in where? The camp. the camp. 
Hmm. That's right. It separated them from God, didn't it? Joshua had nothing to fear. He had no reason to be terrified. God was with him. This was a picture of our Lord. Let's tie it into Christ here. Remember we noted that Joshua is the figure of the coming Messiah. We noted that, our Lord. No one would succeed against the work of the Son because God was with him. In fact, Jesus understood the same truth that the Father would never leave him nor forsake him. And we'll read this in John chapter 16 and verse 32. Most time our thinking is this. When I've, when I've done all the wrong things, then I do what? Turn to the Lord. When I've done it all the wrong way, or everything is compiled on me, and I've done it the wrong way, because of, and, and everything's on top of me because of my choices, then we turn to the Lord. We trust too much in our own wisdom. When you think about that. God says, your ways are not my ways. If a man lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask. Because God will give it liberally. But we trust in our own. And I want you to ask yourself a question and be serious with yourself. How does that go for you? How does that work out for you? How's it worked out for you in the past? When I have failed to leave God out of important decisions, important things in my life, it didn't go very well for me. Maybe you're different. I don't know. Maybe you're different. Our Lord endured with the knowledge that everyone on earth left him alone, but the Father would remain with him. You go to the book of John and notice what he says in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and 28 and 29. Let's see, let me think here. 28, then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. Our Lord said a whole lot right there, didn't he? I always do things that what? Please him. I all, what was he saying there? I always will put my father's business before what? Self. Now, are we not to be like the Lord or strive to be? Sure we are. 
But our Lord said that I'm going to always put my business. Now, you remember, he said, I'm about my father's business. But he's saying right there, he says, I'm always going to put my father's business before my own business. How does that apply to us today? What do you think? When we put things what? Proper priority. Proper priority. That's right. But the question is, are we trusting God to do that? Just like today, when I, I can remember, I'll tell you a story. I can remember when I was working six, and, six days a week, and Amanda and I was first married. And have time, I didn't get home before, after dark, and have time to cut grass. What she would do? It wasn't cut like I wanted, it, believe me, but it was cut. <laughs> but you know what my biggest worry was? I'll never get that done. It's going to grow up. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. My yard's going to look terrible. You can tell a lot about a man, right? About his yard. Is that right? I can't. I can tell a whole lot. Just don't look in my basement. That's what I'm. <laughs> but yeah, she and I was married. And, and, and I use that. I use that today, example today when I looked out my back door and I said, like, I'll never get that done. Now, I could have at some point, oh, yeah, oh, next, a month from now, a week from now, two weeks from now, oh, yeah, it's dried up. I'm not going to be about my father's business. I'm going to fix my mud hole back here. That's when we got a problem, right, in trusting God and putting him and being about our father's business. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted me up on the sun, we just read there, uh, he's not left me alone. So the Father is always with you, and you'll strive to serve him as you love him with all your heart. The key right there is loving him with all your heart. When you love someone or something, what is that? how does that apply to us when we love someone with all our heart? What does that mean we do or don't do? Do what? Do everything within your power. Do with everything. Take care of them. That's right. Take care of them. We promised our mates that, didn't we? Didn't we promise the Lord that? I don't know when you were baptized. But did you promise the Lord that the day that you were baptized and made that commitment? That I'll love you with all my heart. Now, with all that said, sometimes people fail the trust of the Lord. That, oh, he'll provide a way for me to get it done. He'll provide a way for me to take care of these things. I just got to trust in him. We get the cart before the horse sometimes, don't we? Yeah. And we men are bad about that. We men are bad about it. It's, it's got to be done. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. I talk about cutting hay. My grandfather, old Neil Huffines, many of you know him, never, never missed a church service or a church event because his hay was on the ground. Never did. The 25 years I was in the family, he never did. Never did. Oh, I got to get this hay up because it's going to rain. Never did. 
Many of you have got family members who are the same way. Never did. He trusted in the Lord. And you know what? It was, he didn't ever have a cow that died because of lack of hay. He never, he never failed to get it up and get it in a roll. They still was just as healthy as they was when it rained on it. Now, I'll say this. You didn't want to be around him when he was trying to get hay up. <laughs> He'd walk and pace the floor. I just always went on through and said, Hello, O'Neill, how you doing? And walked on out the front door. But a lot of people will not do that. Chapter 2, and we're just now touching it. Preparing to enter into land, 1 through 14. The Lord has now prepared Joshua for leading the people there into the promised land. He says to be strong and courageous three times. The people say that to him at the end of chapter 1. I'll never leave you. I'll be with you. Sends the men in to spy out the land, in particular the town of Jericho. So they go to Jericho and stay in the house of the harlot there, Rahab. Now, I think it's important here that we slow down and recognize who Rahab is and not try to uh, make a righteous person because her lifestyle did not make her a righteous person. I mean, she is most certainly a harlot, a prostitute, sells her body to men. Now, the question is, now why would these two men here and choose this place to stay? One of the things I think is a wise place to hide because really strangers from around that area would be regularly entering that, that house. Nothing would appear really out of the ordinary. But now most, most scholars, if I've studied and brought, looked at different things, do not think that, uh, we, we should say really to the house of brothel, but rather more likely a tavern, if you will, um, is the kind of house it was. Uh, a hostel for this town or, or a hotel for this town actually uh, where these kinds of sexual services were offered. And not necessarily could we say that just because you stayed in that, that house that, you know, it was you, that you were there for prostitution or whatever the case may be. That's how we sometimes paint it. But visitors came in and out of this home for a number of reasons. So with that in mind, the king of Jericho learns that these, these men are there, right? And he's going to come and uh, they've come to investigate the land. So he immediately, as you read through that, he informs Rahab, if you remember, uh, that they're strange, he knew strangers would stay there. Um, now think about the situation. You would think the spies are doomed here. You know, it's really not good to be a spy if the town you're spying knows you're there. <laughs> you think about it. But now Rahab does something that's shocking here. 
She had the opportunity to turn them over to the authorities, didn't she? Mm-hmm. What'd she do with them? What'd she do with those two men? Protected them. She hid them. She hid them. Now, we'll go on into later on as we begin our study next week, um, and as we continue on, we'll get into that Jericho. And you think about what they were told to do. I've been doing a lot of study here lately on grace. And they say grace is not in the Old Testament. A lot of people. Well, yes, it is. It is, it is. 